Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Teamwork A Better Way podcast. I'm Christian Napier, and I'm delighted to be June on a surprisingly crisp June morning with my co-host, Spencer Horn. Spencer, how you doing? I am crispy. I am good to be with you, Christian. I, Gosh, it was in the low 40s on my run this morning. There was snow of about 7,000 feet. It's awesome. Oh, it's fantastic. It's a welcome respite from the triple digits or near triple digits we were experiencing over the weekend and uh it brought some much needed moisture too my wife and i went for a walk this morning and it felt it felt like fall it was so beautiful outside lovely beautiful like our our guest that we have this morning absolutely she is amazing and i'm a huge fan of hers Spencer, why don't you do the honors and introduce our amazing guest? Yeah, well, I'm going to just put her on camera here so everyone can see Jody Orgill Brown. And, and I've known you, Jody, maybe just a, a couple years at, at, a, at a high level through the National Speakers Association. But Jody is absolutely amazing. She has incredible background. She has a, a Master of Science in Organizational Leadership and Communication. And, you know, she's been working for some amazing organizations. And, but in the last couple of years, she's had some uh, pretty powerful experiences that she spends a lot of time talking to organizations, nonprofit, for-profit individuals who are dealing with challenges in life. And as you know, these last couple of years, people are going through a lot of, uh, a lot of challenges and it's impacting their performance. It's impacting their, just their well-being mentally, uh, uh, socially, spiritually, they're, they're really struggling. And so some of the things that, that Jody brings in her experience, you know, experience is dealing with some incredibly difficult. Do you remember Christian, when we talked about, um, uh, Shackleton, you know, that when we did the hundred year anniversary of Ernest Shackleton and, and we were just like going from one disaster to the next and we're like going, Oh no, uh, Oh, Oh no. How could it get any worse? And in a way, I think some of Jody's experiences rival those <laughs> in terms of just the the difficulties. And you know, she she wrote a book, and it's called "The Sun Still Shines," and it has been um, has really hit a nerve with with people in helping them. To, you know, gosh, I got to tell you just a little bit about it, but. The sun, the sun still shine, has resonated with so many people. It sold more than thirty-five thousand copies, won multiple awards, and has become an Amazon bestseller in three categories. Christian and and this, you know, as I'm looking and reading this book, I'm just looking at all these experiences and and dealing with doctor after doctor, and the pictures are are pretty hard to look at with uh, some of the brain surgery that that you had, Jody, and and. Uh, and just the different experiences. And one of the things I got to is chapter uh, 27 when, you know, she's been tr doing her best to follow everything that the doctors and nurses say all the time and just be, you know, precise in, in following and, tr and trying to get better because she has a family, she has a career, she has a life that she wants to get back to. And, and this has taken, you know, years of interruption. And at one point she just realizes I need to be taking charge of my own life. I don't care how many degrees a doctor has. I don't know how, how, how much experience they have. This is my body. And I know what's going on with me. And, and, uh, and here's what she said. No longer a dummy to practice on. I stopped looking to others to tell me what to do. Be your own advocate. Speak up. And, uh, and that's, what, that's what she did. Welcome, Jody. We're so glad to have you. 
Thank you. I'm honored to be with you today. So, you know, we, we, we talk today, we're, we're talking today about, you know, our, our podcast is, is team performance. And one of the things that you uh, focus on is anti-fragility. And first of all, what is that? What does that mean for people who are listening that may not understand that? That's a, that's a word that has been uh, quite popular the last few years. But talk about what is, what is fragility and, and what is anti-fragility? Well, I think we all understand the concept of fragile and being fragile and breakable and feeling like no matter what happens, there's only one state that something that's fragile can go, and that's down. It's not going to become stronger. If anything, it just becomes weaker. And so anti-fragility is the opposite of that. It is a property of systems that increase in their capability to thrive amidst stressors, volatility, attacks, and mistakes. And so instead of getting weaker and being breakable, when you become anti-fragile, that is when you actually grow and strengthen from the things that would otherwise try to weaken or destroy you. And uh, the term was coined by a man named Nassim Taleb in 2012, and he was a mathematician and statistician. who really looking at the very picture of economies, companies, software systems, uh, how can we make it so that instead of the economy taking a big hit when something happens, that it gains in strength? Um, and I just kept waiting, thinking, wow, this is a fantastic concept. When is it going to get to the level of, you know, how does this apply to me? How does this apply to the people that I work with and the teams I work with? And it just never quite got there. He kept it on the very grand scale. And so I took this incredible concept and broke it down into manageable chunks and principles that can we can apply to our lives, to our families, and to the teams that we work with. Well, why don't we talk about these manageable chunks then, Jody? I think that's fascinating, and I appreciate you giving that background. Uh, what is an example of, I don't know how to phrase it, maybe a foundational manageable chunk, right? Like, okay, here are the concepts. What is, what is, underpinning uh, one of the key concepts or one of these manageable chunks that you speak of? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, when I present to audiences and work with teams, I really do it in the form of uh, six core principles. And I use the acronym GROWTH to each letter of the word GROWTH to stand for one of those principles. And we won't have time to go through all of that today, um, but there are some fantastic principles that, that we need to address. And the R in growth stands for respond and adapt. And part of um, the growth and anti-fragility strategy is to make sure that you respond and adapt in the most appropriate way for the situation. And um, that means you need to respond quickly. You need to adapt with the least amount of disruption to your normal activities. So I think of it like you wanna handle it um, kind of like an entrepreneur who is working their day job and trying to do their passion project on the side. You want to keep things as normal as possible during the day so that you can then experiment, adapt, and keep things going uh, on the side. So you don't want to toss everything you know out the window. Stick to the foundational things that you are already doing well and then try to make small adapt adaptations um, by tinkering, experimenting, and seeing what works so that you can continue through the crisis 
with limited interruption so that your people are still doing the same things, but you're still trying to address the problem at the same time. You know, that's a, it's, a, it's a, just a great change uh, uh, process in theory. If you try to change too much, then it, it fails. People give up. You know, a lot of a lot of organizations in their grand, you know, annual strategy, they just go after everything, and then the the whirlwind or everything they have to deal with, what you call the you know the normal stuff that, that you have to do, gets in the way, and then they just forget everything. So instead, if you're just working on you know one or two small things where you're creating incremental change, then then you have a greater chance of succeeding, is what I heard you say. Yes, and you need to also understand that if you try to do everything at once, then you're not going to know what is and isn't working. So you need to actually test almost like you're in a science lab where you are experimenting, but have everyone be working on those same tests at the same time. So you say, okay, this day or this week, we're gonna try this. And then you test it and take the numbers if you can. That you're doing, you may or may not be able to track it exactly. Um, but try it and see if it works and then decide whether or not you're going to implement it as a team as opposed to just haphazardly doing things differently every day. But make it a little bit more scientific uh, and use a little bit of methodology and planning in it. And then you decide what you implement and what goes out the window. And part of that means that your people need to have the permission to fail. They need to be given the okay to try something and have it not work. Because if they feel like they have to have a perfect solution, they're not going to present the ideas that they don't know if they'll be effective. So you have to give yourself and the people on your team permission to fail. Um, now, ideally, you want to be able to have them fail quickly and fail cheaply. <laughs> so test things on a very small scale before you do anything that you then take and implement company-wide. So I find... Uh... Jody, that some people actually are more comfortable with failure than others. And just in terms of personality, some people actually are really avoid failure at all costs because they always want to be right. How do you, and, and, and from my perspective, that's, that, that's, that's one maybe fragile type of behavior, right? I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to make a mistake. And you're saying, so how would you overcome it in, in, in certain personalities to help them be less fragile in the, you know, in, taking risks? That's a good question. I think that you really need to address it. Number one, you start as a team and you explain it that you are experimenting. This is not a, um, this is not a grade. This is an experiment. This is not a judgment of you as a person. This is a judgment of whether or not a certain practice works or doesn't work or is effective in your team efforts. And so when you look at it from that point, it's not that any person or um, anything is actually failing. It's simply that it's not working for your purposes. And so you try something and you try to collect the data around that and see whether or not it's effective. And then if it's not effective, you simply take it out the door. Now, you wouldn't be personally offended when you're doing a science project if your experiments didn't work out because you simply are trying to prove or disprove a hypothesis. So if you look at it that way, then you can take a kind of step back and say, okay, this is not about me or about any person. This is about a process. And this is about trying to figure out what is going to work best in this particular situation and really do it more like a science or a lab experiment as opposed to, oh, I am trying this and I'm not succeeding. No, it's not about you as an individual. Uh, it's more about finding the right process and tools that you can implement in order to serve your team best in that situation.
So I'm curious, Jody, have you noticed any change in this? Uh, it's a relatively recent concept. You mentioned it, it was kind of introduced in at least the term anyway in, in 2012. And so this has been recently applied to organizations. But I'm curious if you've noticed any difference in the strength or fragility of teams over the last few years. We've had some shocks, right, uh, with the with the pandemic and now this you know, what people, some people are calling the great resignation. And and so I'm curious uh, what you have been seeing here recently. Uh, any particular trends that you're noticing as you've been working with teams and executives? Well, I think that the pandemic certainly challenged everyone. And I can't say that there was a uh, just one type of response, because as we know, everyone handled things differently. We know people who were on the cutting edge and they immediately started jumping on finding solutions and they started doing, uh, you know, their Zoom meetings before everyone else did. And they started having people work remotely. Um, and so the people who adapted quickly and tried things, they certainly were on the more successful end just because, number one, they weren't afraid to try and number two, they didn't wait. We know that the people who just sat back and said, all right, well, I'm just gonna wait for things to go back to normal. I'm gonna wait for the two weeks to be over with, uh, which two weeks, of course, we all know turned into more like two years. And so the people who didn't make any changes really struggled because that two weeks that just kept hanging on and hanging on really made them, their businesses took a back seat. And in many cases, we know companies that closed their doors because they didn't know what to do. On the flip side, I worked with many companies that actually had increased numbers because of the way that they handled things. Uh, I worked with some folks at a restaurant who lost, you know, 90% of their business overnight because their restaurant dining area had to close. All of their catering events got canceled. And so they started experimenting and adapting to see what they could do. Um, they did a lot of work on social media and tried to do a lot of outreach that way. They knocked a hole in their wall and they came up with a drive-through. They built a drive-through so people could come and do drive-through pickups of their food, which was not something they'd had before. And then my personal favorite, uh, they actually said they reached out to their people and you know online and said hey we're gonna do drop-off spots you just place your order for your family's meal and we will come to you and we will meet at the school parking lot at 5 p.m and in the next town it'll be in the church parking lot and as long as you have your order in by noon we'll drop your meal off and they had all of these different locations they would go to well you know your average restaurant has customer base of really only 15 to 20 miles geographically. And at the end of the pandemic, when they were finally able to open their doors again, this little barbecue restaurant uh, in Orem, Utah, called Bam Bam's Barbecue, had people from a 70-mile geographic range who were coming to them because they had grown their customer base by creating this drop-off service that had not been in door. So they really just, um, they found a way to keep going. So to answer your question, Christian, uh, really, I wouldn't say there was one specific trend. It was more along the lines of the people who were willing to try new things, to experiment, to use technology in a new way, were quick to adapt. They were very successful. And those who were less willing to try new things ended up 
if not closing their doors, at least losing a lot of business and having some financial difficulty. Oh, so, you know, that Bam Bams, I've driven by there. I've always wanted to eat there. But, you know, the sign with just those bones and I'm like, well, I don't know. It looks like a kind of a pirate place, maybe. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but totally you, worth it. You'll love it. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it's great. And we love, Jana and I love barbecue. Um, I, I want to come back to some of these uh, these principles, but I'd like to digress for just a moment. Um I, I want to make an observation, if I may, and hopefully you'll give me license to, to just from my perspective. I see someone in you, Jody, that is so competent and uh, talented. You are so eloquent. You're so well-spoken. You are fearless in, in many respects. And, you know, you have a great experience with your organizational change, everything you've been doing with organizations. Yet what's been happening these last few years it kind of overshadowed all that other experience. And so I think so often people will come up to you and, and that's what they want to hear about. And do you find that, that does that ever get tiring? Do you ever just like, I just don't want to talk about that anymore. I want to get back to life. Or is it something that you are able to draw upon and say, Hey, here's, I see you're climbing mountains too. Here's what worked for me. And do you get tired of it or do you, or do you find it refreshing to be able to share and help and lift other people? And if you wouldn't mind, uh, just give our listeners a, a, a brief overview of what you've been experiencing the last few years. Well, thank you for uh, taking it down to the personal level, because honestly, that's where it becomes meaningful. Of course, we want to be successful in our businesses and we need to be able to provide for our families but we also each are individuals and we live in families and we have real lives. And uh, my real life has been a challenge for more than a decade now. Uh, I was diagnosed with a tumor between the end of my right auditory canal and then wrapping around my brainstem. And that diagnosis changed everything in my life. It changed every relationship that I had. It changed what I thought I knew about myself. Um, I have always been a get her done, conquer the world kind of girl. And then all of a sudden everything was taken out of my control and there was very little I could do for myself. And I, I found that I had to rely wholly on other people to guide me, take care of me. Literally my life was in the hands of these surgeons and doctors. And I went into the hospital for what we hoped would be one surgery and five days in the critical care unit to recover. Um, but that was not exactly what happened. Instead, I ended up having three brain surgeries, spent 35 days in neurocritical care, and had uh, dozens of side effects and complications, including facial paralysis, a spinal fluid leak, where spinal fluid was actually dripping out of my nose and down the back of my throat. I had a condition called pneumocephalus, which um, honestly just nearly took me out of this world. And so by the time I got out of the hospital, uh, I had learned many lessons, but I didn't realize that was actually just the start of my journey. Surviving was one mountain peak. 
but it was just the first of a range of mountains I have been able to climb in the last several years. So trying to find a new normal, trying to figure out what my purpose here is, because I was so sick for a number of years that I really couldn't do very much. And I think I had always associated my personal worth and value with the things that I did. And so when people suddenly had to come into my life and home and do everything, take care of my children, take them to practices and to school, literally clean my floor while I was laying on the couch watching, it really challenged me and what I thought about myself and how I felt about myself and my contribution to the world. Uh, the good thing is, as we know, everything is temporary. No matter what you're going through, it is not going to last. And I have been able to just kind of one step at a time, climb my way out of some very deep and sometimes dark places and keep going. And I think that's why the concept of becoming anti-fragile resonates with me so much is, you know, there are people who become bitter from the things they go through and there are people who become better. And I decided I needed to become better because of the challenges that I have gone through and looked around and realized, okay, everyone's challenges are different and every company's challenges are different, but we still have those challenges. And if I can help other people learn from some of the things that I have done, sometimes the things I've done well, and sometimes the things I've not, not done so well, but if I can share that, those experiences to help other people, number one, have hope that they can get through this, um, find the grit within themselves to keep going day after day, and just make those decisions on a daily basis that they're going to become better and they're going to become stronger because of the things that would otherwise weaken them. And being able to do that actually gives me quite a bit of personal fulfillment. So do I get tired of it? Not really. And some people say, oh, well, don't you hate being the brain tumor girl? Well, the reality is that is only a small part of who I am, but it is still part of who I am. And it's part of what I have gone through. Uh, and so I'm happy to share those things. And I'm happy to see that some of my hardest life challenges can create inspiration and hope for others. So to have a conversation with someone and be able to give them a little glimpse that there is light at the end of the tunnel, that the sun does still shine no matter how dark the storm clouds may be, that gives me great joy and fulfillment and to be able to see the changes that people make in their lives, maybe because of some of the principles I've taught, that is what I call a win for the day is if I can be a little part of someone's story and becoming better. All right. I didn't know if Spencer was going to push a button, so I paused there for just a second. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, this is so amazing, and I appreciate you sharing this. Uh, I'm reminded uh, of you know one of my favorite bands, Rush. Uh, their drummer, his 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 wife passed away from cancer, and then his daughter, uh, 18 months later, was killed in a car accident, and he really struggled, and. Uh, you know, after a long hiatus, when the band got back together, he wrote a song called One Little Victory. It was just taking like one little step at a time. 
one little victory at a time. So I appreciate you sharing that. But I want to come back to something that you said uh, in that response was I found quite interesting. Uh, you were a go-getter and you were used to doing things and then you were in a position where you couldn't and you had to rely on other people. But in some respects, isn't that the essence of anti-fragility uh, is being able and willing to rely on others and for others to be willing to help their teammates in a time of need. And so kind of bringing back into the teamwork fold here, can you speak to that a little bit? How, you know, in a team, we A, have to be willing to humble ourselves and accept help from others, and B, we've got to be willing to help others when the when the call comes. Well, that is, I'm so glad you brought it back to that because there are two of the principles of anti-fragility that I talk about that are actually solely focused on the group and the team. And the first principle is one I call way in. And what that means in essence is that you have to take the time to conduct a way in with the people around you to see what weight they are carrying. And I'm not talking about just the responsibilities that they have at work, but what is going on in their lives. Because no matter how competent, no, how, no matter how capable someone is, if they are weighed down too heavily, they're still going to find themselves drowning. And we often look at people and think, oh, yeah, he's so capable. He's one of the smartest people I know. But if we don't know that that individual might be caring for an aged parent or dealing with um, a, a death of a child or you know, having financial stress or difficulties, then we're not recognizing the weight that they are carrying and not understanding that it, the things they're going through could be sinking them. And so we really have to find ways to share the load, to share the weight so that no one person is carrying all of that weight on their own. And so I always suggest to teens and try within my own family to do this as well by having at least a weekly weigh-in where we check in with each other and say, you know, what does your week look like? How is it going to be this week? What can I do to help take some of the load off of you so that we can share that as a group? And if I'm not aware that my high school age son has an AFI test that week um, and I'm, you know, putting normal pressures on him and adding things to that. I don't want to be adding to the weight he's carrying. I want to be able to help lift that weight and share it so that he can be better and be 100% there. So that's one of the very first things that I suggest that families and teams do, whether you do it in your morning huddle and your weekly team meeting, whatever your structure is, find a way to really be able to check in with each other. And sometimes that means sharing things that some people are not always comfortable sharing, but I really truly believe that the more you make it part of your team success, the more that you're willing to share, then the easier it becomes to share some of those things. And uh, the, another principle that I think is critical for teams is one that I call hood, which simply means a hood is a group of people that you are going through life with in a particular experience. So neighborhood, parenthood, uh, as you think of the different kinds of hood, realizing that the people in your team are part of your hood and you need to look out for each other, be there to support each other and really help each other along the way. Because uh, yes, Christian, as I mentioned, it was very hard for me to rely on others. 
What I didn't mention, however, was the fact that those others and the people around me were literally the people that saved my life and kept my family going during the most difficult days of our lives. And were it not for all of those people, I honestly don't know how my family would have been able to keep going. We could not have done it all on our own. And when I look back now, um, I see that I had a, a, a pack surrounding me, a pack of angels who, who picked up all of the pieces of my life and took care of things so that I could focus on getting better. And they were the ones who sent me daily texts. They came and saw me in the hospital. They took meals into my family. They took my children places. They did all of these things so that we could focus on what was most important at that time, which was, was just survival. So I think when it comes back to teams and groups, you really need to surround each other and be as close knit as possible. Now, when I talk about, um, there are some other team principles that I talk about with anti-fragility. And one of those is actually that we need to create some redundancy and some repetitiveness within a team. I, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this, but several weeks ago, my husband and I went to a restaurant and they had all of the different workers at a restaurant who were at their individual stations. And you had one person who was taking orders and was a cashier and some people who were making the food. Well, something happened to the person who was taking the orders and the entire operation just stopped. There were eight other people there and no one did anything because they had only been trained how to do their one job in their one position. So they had to wait until the cashier came back to be able to take uh, orders before anyone else in the room could do anything. And we looked around and said, this is unbelievable. There's 15 people in line. There's eight people standing there and no one could do anything because they hadn't created any form of redundancy or cross training. And part of having an adaptive response and becoming anti-fragile means you need to have people who, who can step in and help so that no one person is going to be the means of whether or not this, the ship sinks or stays afloat. And that's every bit as true for us as individuals and families as it is uh, in businesses. You don't want the one person having to leave the room or run to the restroom to stop everyone in line from being able to order because no one else can do that job. And likewise, that's the same thing in a family. And if I learned anything from this experience, it was that um, that your family can be a huge support, the people around you can be a huge support, and the more that everyone can share those responsibilities, the easier it is to carry on. So just love love that so much, uh, Jody. You know, a couple things that, that stand out is... You know, I, I think about the last few years, even before the pandemic, where this quote unquote great, great resignation, organizations were challenged to fill roles within their with, within their teams. And so what was happening is individuals were taking on more responsibility. They were doing the work of two and three people. And that's been happening now for many, many years. Now, add that great resignation to it people are just burned out because they are having to fill in for for those holes that aren't being backfilled. And um, 
And so that check-in that you that you mentioned is so so important because you need to you know how's it going how's the the burden can we can can we prioritize the things that you're working on I remember Stephen Covey his his right hand man came to him well first of all Stephen went to his right hand man and said I need you to do X Y and Z and 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 it reminded me a little of your response. It's like standing up and advocating for yourself. He said, Stephen, here, come over and look at my Kanban chart or my to-do list here. Uh, which of these priorities I'm working on do you want me to, uh, to, to defer while I work on this new priority? He said, I had no idea how many things were on their plates. And so I think part of being anti-fragile is also advocating for yourself, but also checking in with your people and saying, what do you need? One of the things I struggle with, I see a lot, and I don't know if you see this, Jody, a, a, a lot of executives or professionals say, you know, I, I keep my personal and my and, and my professional life separate. I think that's really hard, especially in today's life. I mean, you, we're working with a whole person, not, you know, a professional versus, you know, we are, it, I think it's really tiring for us to separate who we are and, and and not be aware of what's going on in people's personal lives so that we can care for the whole person and, and not just the employee. And then the other thing is, is I think what you talked about that way in is actually very closely related to the hood principle. And, you know, we call it when, when I assess teams, I'm looking at, is there camaraderie? Do they have optimism on the team? Do they, uh, do they rally around each other? Do they enjoy being together? And even off work times. And that's, again, that's a personal thing. Because when we get to know people personally, we're more invested in in caring for them when, when they're going through something difficult. Because things that are happening at home are impacting what's happening at work. Just like things happening at work are impacting things at home. Absolutely. And the, we need to recognize that. And I think we've had no choice but to start to recognize that more and more in the last few years. Especially when you think of the fact that so many of us are working remotely, we're in our homes. Uh, if I were to open these doors behind me, you might see teenage boys running back and forth in the house and you would get to have a little glimpse of that personal life that I have that before was really unknown. So I like the fact that we've pulled the curtains back a little bit because it helps us be a little more understanding for the situations that people are going through. And we do have to make that conscious choice to allow that and to be okay with it. But I think we're better when we do it because we can support each other better. I don't like the concept of this work-life balance. I don't think there is such thing as finding the right balance. I think more than anything, what it is is, I think life is like a symphony and there are times where certain instruments are louder or more prominent, but when everything you know, is played with the, the right, melody and tune and rhythm, then it can be beautiful, even though different parts stand out at different times. That's part of the joy of going through life is that there are going to be times for this to shine and for that to sit on the background. Um, but the more you come to accept that, the easier it is to, to step into roles where you know that, yeah, I've got to be all here for work right now, but kids this weekend, I promise we're going to do this to make up for the time that we missed and we're going to go camping and we're going to have fun and we're going to be on the lake and vice versa. You know, you've got to be able to, to do that. And hey, now we're at taking the kids with us from time to time or having the kids run through the background or seeing the cats and dogs, having meetings while we're working in the yard or while we're traveling on the bus or the airplane. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, I love it. We got the we got the applause at the end of our of our symphony, and I have to say, it was great to have you, Jody, uh, sitting in the first chair violin. Uh, I'm very happy playing the triangle back here. You know, every once in a while, I will chime in. Uh, uh, but but I really really appreciate you coming on and sharing all of your experiences. Gosh, we could do this for hours, but unfortunately, we don't have hours. Um, Jody, if people want to learn more about you and the fantastic work that you do and have them help them uh, in any way come and speak at their events or, or work with their organizations become better, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? I'm very active on LinkedIn. And so I would suggest people find me on LinkedIn, Jody or Gil Brown. And uh, I work for an organization called Global Leader Group. And you can always drop me a line, Jody, J-O-D-I, at globalleadergroup.com. Thank you so much, joining, uh, jo Jody, for joining us. And, and Spencer, uh, you do amazing work with organizations and helping teams perform at their very best. How can people reach out to you to learn more about that? Thank you, Christian. So good to be with you, Jody. And thank you so, so, so much. And you know, if anyone wants to, to reach out to me, just Altium Leadership, uh, A-L-T-I-U-M Leadership.com, uh, or you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm there and I, I, see, I see you guys there all the time and uh, it, it's wonderful. So good to be with you, Christian. And uh, Jody, thank you for, for joining us today. Thank you, my friends.